here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I've got a ton to cover tonight. I hope you'll stick with us. Uh, first things first, I'm going to silence my phone. Um, Mr. President, some Vietnamese veterans see echoes of their experience in this withdrawal in Afghanistan. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling? Cuts them off. None whatsoever. Zero, says Biden. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the South, not the North Vietnamese Army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstances where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy in, in the United States from Afghanistan. It's not at all comparable. Now, there's a few things I want to address which may not be popular with many of you. I keep hearing, this is a 20-year war. How much longer should we go to war? Ladies and gentlemen, a couple things about this. We had five, six, seven thousand troops in Afghanistan a month ago. No deaths in the last year and a half. We're not fighting a quote-unquote war in Afghanistan. It's not an ongoing war. I think they call it a hot war. Every day going on, day in and day out. That's not what's happening there. That's not what was happening there. We have it said that Well, they've been trained enough, the Afghani armed forces. They should be able to fight for themselves. Well, they were largely fighting for themselves with our advisors and support, but we've taken their air power power away. We've taken their air cover away for the most part. So the Afghan ground forces have no air cover, and they needed that air cover when we were pushed back on those occasions when necessary. The Taliban and the Taliban feared our air cover. 
This has been a disaster. This is a humiliation for us. Every one of our enemies are looking at this. The North Koreans, the Communist Chinese, Putin and Russia, the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran, they're all looking at this. And they're seeing weakness. They're seeing a humiliated United States. We're sending 3,000 troops back in in order to try and get our civilians out, including out of the embassy, so they're not harmed. In many ways, in many ways, it is like those final, those final moments in Vietnam. Not a perfect parallel, but good enough. Biden said the Taliban won't take over. He was wrong. He's always wrong. He's always wrong. And so now a country that was basically neutralized. That's a big deal, ladies and gentlemen, politically, diplomatically, militarily. A nation that was basically neutralized, the territory and the country of Afghanistan, from where we were hit on 9-11, now it's going to be a whole Star Wars bar scene. And they'll be working with the Communist Chinese, they'll be working with Al-Qaeda, they'll be working with other terrorists. This is, if you're going to withdraw, this isn't the way you withdraw. This isn't the way you do it at all. People, you talk about 20 years, who have worked with us for 20 years, are being slaughtered now. They've taken over 12 of the provinces, the capitals of these provinces. They control 70% of the country. The women are being raped. The women are being married off. Some of these are young girls that have known nothing of the Taliban. Many we hear now are being tortured. Little kids. Anybody with any connection to the United States military is being executed on the spot. Some of you may disagree with me. I'm sorry. The United States doesn't conduct itself this way. This is, this is evidence of a deteriorating nation. Of a nation that's lost its core. I didn't say we should be fighting and fighting and fighting in Afghanistan. I said it was neutralized. It was effectively neutralized. When you pull the air power from these Afghan forces or who are used to fighting with the air power from the United States and you do it abruptly like this, you've created disaster. There are other reasons, of course. This is the same administration that is propping up the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. That has convinced a number of our allies to pour billions of dollars into Iran to build up this regime that is building nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons. And right on the precipice is a weak Israeli government 
You have a weak American government. And I played it for you here when Matt Lee, the Associated Press, reported the Department of State was pressing Nick Price, the spokesman at the State Department, is there anything the Iranians can do that would cause you to stop negotiating with them? He basically said no. Now, you have to believe me when I tell you Xi looks at this. You know what Xi's decided today? Looking at Afghanistan, watching what's going on with Iran and our government. You know what he's decided today? I can invade Taiwan. Listen to me. I can invade Taiwan. You know what Putin's decided? In addition to Biden selling out and giving him his pipeline, I can take the Ukraine. This is enormously provocative for you isolationists. This is exactly the wrong way to conduct business. Exactly the wrong way to conduct foreign policy and military policy. I wasn't even planning on discussing this until the third hour. And then look, and then look in the Middle East again. Look what's going on in the Middle East again. Do you know that our government, do you know that Biden is pressuring the Israelis to open a, effectively a Palestinian consulate in East Jerusalem? And the Israelis are saying, wait a minute, we get to decide if there's a consulate in East Jerusalem. We have the United States Embassy in Jerusalem. No, 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 says the Biden administration. No, 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 no. We want a consulate, an American consulate where we can reach out to the Palestinians. The Palestinians who continue to insist on destroying the state of Israel, who continue to fund terrorism... Then you look at our southern border, which is a national security and foreign policy issue in addition to domestic. You see what's going on there. These are disasters. These are humiliations. Humiliations, complete disasters. And through it all, they want to destroy us from within. This 3.5, which is a $5.5 trillion massive boondoggle, is an attempt to institute in the United States, because the author is Bernie Sanders. I know Bernie Sanders, what's between his ears. You ready for this? This is an attempt to use Chapter 10 of the 1936 Soviet Constitution and impose it on the United States of America. You want me to prove it to you? You want me to prove it to you? I will prove it to you as soon as we come back. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. 
It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. I always hate to say I told you so, but take down the names of the isolationists and the apologists right now. Because what was a neutralized territory, neutralized country, is now going to be another launching pad. And we don't have enough strong allies encircling that country to even know what the hell's going on in that country. This was an absolutely humiliating withdrawal. We now have to send in troops in order to protect our embassy personnel from leaving. It's as if we don't even give a damn what's happening to the people in there who stood by us and with whom we stood. It turns my stomach. If you want to get out, plan it properly. He wanted to get out before 9-11. Absolutely unbelievable to me. All right, I want to get into this. I've talked about this before, but it's a reminder and it's necessary. Chapter 10, Fundamental Rights and Duties of Citizens, Stalin's Soviet Constitution, 1936. Have the right to work. That is, are guaranteed the right to employment and payment for their work in accordance with its quantity and quality. The right to work is ensured by the socialist organization of the national economy, the steady growth of the productive forces of the society, the elimination of the possibility of economic crises, and the abolition of unemployment. Citizens of the USSR have the right to rest and leisure. The right to rest and leisure is ensured by the reduction of the working day to seven hours for the overwhelming majority of the workers, the institution of annual vacations with full pay for workers and employees, and the provision of a wide network of sanatoria, rest homes, clubs for the accommodation of the working people. Sounds really swell. Citizens of the USSR have the right to maintenance in old age and also in the case of sickness or loss of capacity to work. This right is ensured by the extent to development of social insurance of workers and employees at state expense, free medical service for the working people, and the provision of a wide network of health resorts for the use of the working people. Citizens of the USSR have the right to education. The right is ensured by universal compulsory elementary education, by education including higher education being free of charge, by the system of state stipends for the overwhelming majority of students in the universities and colleges, by instruction in schools being conducted in the native language, and by the organization in the factories, state farms, machine and tractor stations, and collective farms of free vocational, technical, and agronomic training for the working people. You know, like community college. Equality of rights of citizens of the USSR. We don't even talk about that anymore. We have critical race theory, which isn't even equality of rights. Irrespective of their nationality or race, in all spheres of economic, state, cultural, social, and political life is an indefeasible law. Any direct or indirect restriction of the rights of, or conversely, any establishment of direct or indirect privileges for, 
citizens on account of their race or nationality, as well as any advocacy of racial or national exclusiveness, or hatred and contempt is punishable by law, as he murders Ukrainians and rounds up Jews and all the rest. In the conformity with the interests of the working people, and in order to strengthen the socialist system, the citizens of the USSR are guaranteed by law, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, including holding of mass meetings, freedom of street processions and demonstrations. These civil rights are ensured by placing at the disposal of the working people and their organizations, printing presses, stocks of paper, public buildings, the streets, communications facilities, and other material requisites for the exercise of these rights. Hmm. Of course, in conformity with the interests of the working people, Stalin goes on, and in order to develop the organizational initiative and political activity of the masses of the people, citizens of the USSR ensured the right to unite in public organizations, trade unions, cooperative associations, youth organizations, sport and defense organizations, cultural, technical, scientific societies, and the most active and politically most conscious citizens in the ranks of the working class and other sections of the working people. Unite in the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, which is the vanguard of the working people in their struggle to strengthen and develop the socialist system, and is the leading core of all organizations of the working people, both public and state. It goes on. Now, nobody knows this language better than Bernie Sanders. Nobody knows this language better than Bernie Sanders. And so here we are. What are they proposing? National Comprehensive Paid Family Medical Leave Program. Fund free universal preschool for all three and four-year-olds. Fund free community college for all students. Expand the total amount of Pell Grants. Increase the maximum individual award. Expand access to the summer EBT program, which helps some low-income families with children buy food outside the school year. Extend the $1.9 trillion COVID stimulus plans provision. Lowering health insurance premiums for those who buy coverage on their own. Extend the child tax credit expansion that was included in the COVID relief bill. Also contains money for clean energy programs, of course. And on and on. Expand Medicare. Expand Medicaid. Very, very similar. Stalin, Sanders, and the Democrats. The Mark Levin Show is tomorrow's morning show. You can reach Mark now at 877-381-3811. You know, before this election, I said on radio, on TV, anywhere anybody would listen, that Joe Biden is the candidate of our enemies. And he's delivering for our enemies. He's delivering for our enemies. He's hollowing out the United States of America at the same time. We have a massive invasion going on in this country, including people who have a killer pandemic for which he attacks two Republican governors because he's afraid they might be his opponent. This is, uh, this is the fault of tens of millions of Americans who voted for him. This is the fault of tens of millions of Americans who voted for him. This should have been a blowout. So even any level of unconstitutional uh, efforts, particularly in Pennsylvania, in violation of the federal constitution, shouldn't have mattered. 
It should have been a blown out election and Biden should have lost. But all the all the elements of American Marxism pulled together in every way by hook or by crook. By hook or by crook. I want you to listen to this from Biden now. Cut one, go. There's something called DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, set up exclusively within the Defense Department. Oh, good Lord. To seek out the cutting edge research projects that enhance our national security. An outfit that came up with the Internet, GPS, and a lot of stealth technology, a lot of things. I'm proposing we do a similar thing. Now, let's slow down. We needed DARPA, ladies and gentlemen, because the private sector is not in charge of national security. The private sector is not in charge of national security. That is a responsibility, one of the specific responsibilities of the federal government. Go ahead. I propose we spend $6.5 billion. Now, where's that figure come from? Nowhere. Billions and billions and hundreds of billions and trillions. And it, it, this, is, this is like, like a nightmare what's going on here. Go ahead. Similar agency within the National Institute of Health, the NIH, called Advanced Research Project Agency, ARPA-H. Like DARPA. They come up with these names. Oh, ARPA-H sounds cool. Go ahead. Help speed cutting-edge research on how to detect, treat, and cure diseases like Alzheimer's, diabetes, and cancer. All right, let, let, let's stop here a second. The government has spent trillions of dollars addressing all these issues, and they're horrific issues. They really are. And if they want to partner with the private sector the way Operation Warp Speed did and so forth and fine. But you're now going to nationalize private initiatives? Do you know what that's going to happen? You're going to have Fauci's and Collins's and, and pol- politics all throughout now. It's not going to speed anything up. It's not going to speed up cures for cancer and diabetes and Alzheimer's. The government doesn't speed up anything. It's filled with red tape, with bloated, overpaid bureaucracies with unqualified individuals at every level. This isn't going to solve a damn thing. It'll slow things down. It is the private sector. It is capitalism. It is competition. That's what gives us our advances. That's what gives us our advances. The United States government determines specifically what we need when it comes to national security. They have intelligence agencies, security agencies, military agencies, the State Department. That's why we have DARPA, because they have information that the private sector does not have. And they have responsibilities that the private sector does not have. If you want to unleash further creativity, productivity, inventiveness then why are you going to massively increase taxes on the very companies and businesses and individuals who do these things? Who do these things? And 
every time they talk about efficiencies and how we're going to solve this and that, I want you to remember what's going on on the southern border. I want you to think about what's going on on the southern border. All right, let's go to cut three, Mr. Producer. Cut three, go. To the mayors, school superintendents, educators, local leaders who are standing up to the governor's politicizing mass protection for our kids. Thank you. Thank you as well. Thank God that we have heroes like you. And I stand with you all. And America should as well. You know what? This guy's as low as a low life can be. While he's bringing people into this country who have these diseases, while he's bringing people into this country who have the virus, who have the Delta variant, he's attacking Republican governors over masks. The Republican governors are trying to stop these people from coming into the country. This is the greatest super spreader in American history. Can you think of another president? Can you think of another administration, Democrat or Republican, that would open up our border to what will be two and a half million people in a period of 12 months, hundreds of thousands every month, coming into our country, untested, unprotected, And then being distributed throughout the country? Is there another president who who has done such a thing? If this is not an impeachable offense, then what is? 40% of migrants released in Texas border city test positive for COVID-19. The city of Laredo, Texas has refused to take in migrants who have been bussed in from elsewhere on the border after discovering 40% of them tested positive for the coronavirus. You can wear a mask all you want. With the importation of people with this virus, that mask is not going to protect you. You can't wear it every second of every day. PJ Media. It's truly a public health crisis. One border town is bustling hundreds of untested illegals to Austin and Houston every single day. Every single day. 40% of whom have been found to have the virus or the variant are being bussed into two major American cities. Austin, Texas and Houston, Texas. It is shocking. The heroes, he says. The heroes, the Democrats, who are defying the Republican governors. You've got Republican governors trying to come together to secure the border. And you literally have the Attorney General of the United States going into federal court to stop them. And he got a federal judge to agree with them. Every one of these federal medical bureaucrats who goes on TV. Not one of them criticizes this administration policy. Not one. And the only one to challenge them is Peter Ducey at Fox. No other journalist gives a damn. So you tell me, does Joe Biden really care about school children? Does Joe Biden really care about old people getting this disease? No. He praised, he praised 
Andrew Cuomo did a hell of a job. 15,000 dead people in our nursing homes. He did a hell of a job. Does Biden sound like a man who gives an S about Americans, human beings in this country? Blood is pouring in the streets of our inner cities. One bureaucratic response after another. Does he sound like a man who gives a damn about the slaughter that's occurring in the inner cities? Not in the least. Soft on crime, always soft on crime. Compassion for all the wrong people. Encouraging. The heroes, the Democrats on school boards and in cities for defying Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott. Pretty amazing. Meanwhile, the southern border that he's in charge of, that he's in charge of, what's going on down there is criminal. And what this president is doing to our country in order to empower the Democrat Party, is criminal. I know I was the first to say it, and I'll say it again. These are impeachable offenses. On top of that, defying a Supreme Court decision. These are impeachable offenses. Impeachable, what he needs to put in a letter to Ukraine, then that'll be an impeachable offense, is that it? Is that it? But don't worry. Don't worry. He just wants to create more government to, to, uh, to eliminate Alzheimer's. Government's not going to eliminate Alzheimer's. To eliminate diabetes and cancer. I remember when Richard Nixon announced a war on cancer. One billion dollars at the time. That sounded like a lot of money. We've made a lot of advances, of course. Not enough. But they're not coming out of government. Instead, he wants to take money out of government. Excuse me, out of the private sector that comes up with these things. He wants to take money out of the very institutions, out of the very laboratories that solve or will solve these problems. That's what we need, folks. Nationalize more and more of the private sector because they do such a damn good job. What do you think of the DMV on the state and local level? What do you think of the Internal Revenue Service? All of you haven't even gotten your refunds yet. What do you think about, about the federal government's handling of the border? What do you think about the federal government's handling of the budget? Yeah, they just need more power. They just need more authority. I'll be right back. in. I watch this administration, I watch Biden, I watch this Democrat Party. They're destroying America from within, and they're destroying America from without. All the tremendous gains we've made over the last four or five years under President Trump are vanishing. The tremendous nation that was established by our founding is going to be pulled down like one of those monuments over the summer. 
We will cease being mostly a capitalist country and we will become mostly a socialist economic system. We're indoctrinating our children on Marxism and the American Marxist spawned movements. Loudoun County, Virginia yesterday, the school board voted to impose the transgender agenda on public school students on top of the critical race theory agenda. Those of you who understand this have read American Marxism are going to. This is exactly the kind of movement they would expect in communist regimes. Two points as footnotes. I read one idiot who said Marx got it wrong. It's closer to fascism. Very stupid person wrote that. The level of indoctrination, as the book explains, these various movements, they grew out of Marxism. Now look, Marxism, fascism, when you're destroying Americanism, it can come from many angles. Many angles. But we need to understand who the enemy is. Fascism is actually easier to understand. It's not particularly clever. It's the iron fist. It's the police state. You can see it in Iran. The Islamo-Nazi regime. That's what I call it. It's a fascist regime. But what's happening in our country isn't like one strong man or even one movement. It's slicker than that. Makes it more complicated. These are American-born Marxist movements. Then another idiot, I don't know how he got up my email, he says, you know, Mark, when you talk about your book, you really ought to start talking about what's in your book. Now, Mr. Producer, have I been talking about what's in my book? I thought to myself, how did this idiot even get my email address? Unbelievable. But this is what's happening. You see... Folks, the Democrat Party does not believe in American sovereignty. It doesn't believe in American superiority. Just as it's changed language to equity, it embraces the Lakrip movement, it embraces the United Nations, it embraces all these movements, the degrowth movement, the international degrowth movement, and so forth. It embraces them all. Which means the evisceration of America as you know it. Next hour, General Jack Keane will be on the program. In the third hour, we'll have Peter Schweizer to talk about the latest in Hunter Biden. And don't think Joe Biden's not connected to this. This is a corrupt crime family. Corrupt crime family. Protected by the Praetorian Guard media. Just as Cuomo was protected despite all his molestations and what he did in the nursing homes. Because the media are corrupt. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Look, it's one of those days where you have to be intellectually flexible, moving in and out of issues, moving back to issues because of the nature of the news right now. And in my case, as you know, fusing it with history and fusing it with philosophy and reality. There is an Iranian Christian immigrant at the Loudoun County School Board meeting on Tuesday. And I want you to listen to what she had to say at this Loudoun County School Board meeting about critical race theory and about transgender ideology. Cut six, go. Dear disgraced board members, you think you're woke? Well, let me wake you a little bit more. I'm a Chaldean married to an Armenian. We are minorities of the minorities in this country. Our ancestors and people survived massacres of the Turks and the ISIS. I grew up in Iran as a Christian. And when we went to school, as much as the government wanted to indoctrinate us, the teachers didn't allow it. The teachers did their job, teach us the curriculum, science, math, biology, etc. They didn't try to shove propaganda down our throats like the Ayatollahs did. Now in the 21st century, we have social, social justice warrior, so-called teachers are trying to shove their garbage ideology down our kids' throat. These are our children, not yours. Their job is not to raise my child or my neighbor's child. Their job is to teach our kids math, science, biology, literature, and that's it. Not ideology. Now you want to push garbage crap like pronouns? How the hell does that keep a kid from succeeding? How does that help them? Does that teach them how to add? You want to push that garbage down my kid's throat? I will make you call my kids king and queen. That's how I will address my sons and my daughter. And you, really, you look at me, you call me master. You want that pronoun to be in your mouth when you look at me? Your garbage ideology is pure garbage. Don't be a dumb politician. Don't waste our money that we pay for. We work for our money. We pay taxes. We pay for this damn building. It doesn't belong to you. And they cut his mic. Man is brilliant and courageous. And I'd open this country to more and more migrants like him who assimilate into the country and love the country and fight for the country. Unlike the phony Americans who sit on that school board. Robin D'Angelo is one of the Individuals who's made millions of dollars on pushing what I call this critical racism Marxist theory. And she's a fraud in my humble opinion. And I'd be more than happy to challenge her to a debate publicly here. And she has pushed this ideology. She has pushed this racism. And when she's caught, she spins. Cut seven, go. 
Well, I wouldn't try to say here's what critical race theory really is because I don't think people are engaging at, at a rational level. It is the new boogeyman. Uh, the white populace has always been uh, susceptible to manipulation around racial animus. Just listen to the way this buffoon talks. The white populace, always susceptible to manipulation around racial animus. She doesn't know you. She talks in these bigoted, platitudinous phrases. And this is all she is. This is what she does. And it appeals to a lot of people, particularly other bigots and racists. But you see, you don't know what critical race theory is. If you read my book, you know it. Beginning to end. Nuts and bolts. And I even quote her. Not extensively, because she didn't invent it. She's made a fortune off of it. Go ahead. I assume you're aware of the Southern strategy. This is the latest manifestation of it. See, uh, the Southern strategy. Another fiction created by the Democrats and their Marxist left friends. The Southern strategy, ladies and gentlemen. I see. Were all of you part of a Southern strategy? Hmm. How about college and university strategies? Go ahead. It's perfect in a way. Uh, you know, it's just vague enough uh, that you can attach just about anything to it. But what it comes down to, and the reason that I am called a critical race theorist, even though technically I am not a legal scholar, what it comes down to is... And any- technically I'm not a legal scholar, a critical race theorist. You don't have to be a legal scholar, and you know it, you buffoon. And you know it. Go ahead. ...that racism exists, that it is real, uh, that the country is founded in it, and that it is infused across all of now our Now, the country's been founded in liberty. The country was founded with the Declaration of Independence. There's not a word of racism in the Declaration of Independence. None other than Abraham Lincoln, who did more for black people in this country than you, you clown, could ever wish to do could ever wish to do, and gave his life ultimately. He understood why the country was founded. He understood why he wanted to keep the Union together. He embraced the Declaration and the Constitution. He embraced the Founders. He explained it. But not you. You're a hack. Go ahead going to be seen as critical race theory. And there are very, very, very deep investments in the status quo. Uh, and, and it's just... Very it's, deep it's, investments in the status quo. You see, you see, it's this dominant society. She's got all the propaganda down. Yes, there's a lot of investment in the status quo, which is not racism. Liberty. Unalienable rights. Nuclear family. Faith. Capitalism. Yes. In a successful country, the people are invested in the status quo. The status quo. People have never been invested in slavery. That's why we fought a civil war. We struggled with it right up and through the civil war. And segregation and so forth. We are a fantastic, diverse country. Almost 40% of the population is not white. And that's because the majority white population allows 
the population to continue to become more and more diverse. You won't see that in many countries. Go ahead. Effective way at getting us not to have the conversations that we need. We don't want conversations with you. You're a dimwitted, buffoonish propagandist and a radical. And why don't you tell people who interview you on the Black News Channel and elsewhere that you're promoting a Marxist ideology that was invented by a Marxist? Why don't you explain that to them? Why don't you explain that to them? That Derek Bell, the founding father of critical race theory, who stole a bunch of his ideology from Herman Marcuse, who was a communist out of Berlin, Germany, Why don't you explain these things to the people you speak to? And why don't you explain what Bell stood for? Why don't you explain, as I do in American Marxism, that Bell rejected Martin Luther King, that Bell rejected a colorblind society, that Bell rejected the 64 and 65 Civil Rights Acts, that Bell rejected the Supreme Court decisions, that Bell rejected everything before that that was advanced to try and address discrimination, slavery, and so forth. Because Bell believed you couldn't fix it. Because it's a white-dominant society. And all these things are nothing but window dressing, you see. The system must collapse. It must be overthrown. Right, Robin? Right? Yes, Robin. That's right. You dimwit. Go ahead. Uh, These conversations aren't what is dividing us. Uh, You just had India Walton on. Uh, That's enough. That's enough. We'll be right back. Lovin. It's a pleasure to have uh, the man we go to in situations like this, General Jack Keane, retired four-star general, chairman of the Institute for the Study of War. General, the Institute for the Study of War, have we ever been humiliated like this before in, uh, in Afghanistan? No, no, not, not whatsoever. Uh, as a matter of fact, it, you know, we, we have taken what is, you know, a, a very imperfect situation in Afghanistan, but was relatively stable. The situation was stalemated between the Taliban and the Afghan government and its security forces. And by the Biden administration making this decision, you know, to pull out and not leave the modest forces there that would prevent the Taliban from taking over and the al-Qaeda from coming back, that was one decision that involved, I think, serious miscalculations. But you can make a case that it was time to go. I understand that. But then once you make the decision... I mean, what we've done here is embarrassing. This is preventable, what we're seeing in front of us, Mark. I mean, you ask yourself the questions, okay, I want to get out, but I want to get out on our terms, and I certainly don't want the Taliban rushing the gate as we're, as we're exiting. I want no part of that. So give me the conditions that have to be established to ensure that our withdrawal is not going to be precipitate a Taliban takeover. And that would have made some very serious recommendations that the military would have been making to the president. But I understand that he dismissed all of that. He made the decision, and he wanted to get out as soon as possible. And people were trying to tell him, we can't do it that quickly. 
because it's going to undermine the Afghan security forces so significantly when we pull all the air power that they're used to having on a daily basis away from them. And, and that's what helped to precipitate this. I mean, it, it is serious miscalculations on the part of this administration, Mark. Uh, regardless of whether you think we should get out of Afghanistan or not, obviously I think we should stay. Uh, good arguments can be made to leave. But given you made that decision, then we should have put the conditions in place to avoid what we're seeing here today, which, which is so preventable, and it's embarrassing for the United States. And here's another thing that we're doing. We have people from the State Department uh, pleading with the Taliban in Doha, where there's international community meeting taking place, for them not to attack our embassy. And I'm, and, and I'm saying, how pathetic and humiliating is that? I mean, what we should be doing is go over to the Taliban leader, Baradar, put your finger in his chest, and tell him, if, you get a, if any of our people get hurt at all in our withdrawing from Afghanistan, we will kill you by the thousands. You will pay a price that is too, too much. And as opposed to going over there and pleading with him not to hurt us while we're leaving. I mean, my God, what, these people are barbarians, they're fanatics, and that is not the way to deal with them. The only way you deal with these people is, is through strength. I'm reading this New York Times piece of a few hours ago, General, which makes your point. American negotiators have been trying to extract assurances from the Taliban they won't attack the U.S. Embassy in Kabul if the extremist group overruns the capital. And by the way, they're offering foreign aid. Now, what the hell is this? You know, Xi in China, he must be lapping this up. Putin must be lapping it up. The regime in Tehran must be lapping this up. Could this not provoke these, uh, these, these genocidal maniacs to take actions because they know that we have a commander-in-chief who's made a decision like this and the way he's made this decision? Yeah, well, I totally agree with you. Geopolitical implications of this uh, go far and wide. I mean, we said from the outset, pulling that seven military bases out of Afghanistan is a net strategic and regional gain for Iran, China, and Russia, all who are neighbors of, of Afghanistan. They are thrilled that we're leaving. However, the the other thing that they don't want is they certainly don't want Afghanistan destabilized. The truth is they really don't want the Taliban to take over either. Uh, they would have much preferred the previous stalemated situation with the United States gone, if that was possible. But yes, the geopolitical implications here for our adversaries are very real. And, it, and that's what makes this even more dangerous, because it emboldens them. And it certainly, look at um, our allies on this, the feckless Europeans, who we have had so many problems with on so many issues, actually were advising President Biden that they agreed with keeping a modest force there to prevent the Taliban from taking over and the al-Qaeda from coming back. That was the Europeans. Mm -hmm. All the military uh, said the same thing to him, to the Secretary of Defense, his chairman, the field commanders, uh, but he would have no, no part of it. That was one serious miscalculation. The second one is the one that we're witnessing now, that we didn't set the conditions in to make our withdrawal successful, and, and that's really unfortunate. Unfortunate, uh, you know, for the American people have to witness this, and particularly our troops. What, what do you say? To, what do you say to people? Say we've been in this war twenty years, and I, I just said at the opening of the show, we've neutralized 
basically this country and this territory. So it's no longer a launching ground to attack the United States. I mean, we're not in a full-scale war in Afghanistan each and every day and night, are we? No. We, we pulled all of our combat forces out seven years ago in 2014. We left in place some advisors, uh, a robust intelligence capability. It's been fully disclosed now that we've had CIA bases there as well that contribute to that, to keep our eyes on the al-Qaeda principally. And we had significant uh, ground coordinators and air power. And it was the air power and the intelligence capability that the Afghan security forces valued so much. Listen, our mission was to prevent another attack from the al-Qaeda, and we have accomplished that mission. Many of us felt that that mission really hasn't ended. Uh, the so-called war on terror against radical Islam is a generational war. And a modest commitment to ensure al-Qaeda doesn't attack us again, uh, many of us believe is the right call. We're, we've, we've evolved on this, Mark. We've gotten more sophisticated uh, dealing with a complex situation uh, like the radical Islamic movement. There's 40 to 50 movements out there under the umbrella of that title of jihadists. And we're only interested in five of them. And why is that? Because they all have the same aspirations, to kill the American people at home. So that's why we're in Syria, Iraq, Yemen, East Africa, and that is why we wanted to stay, many of us believe, in Afghanistan for the same reason. And in all these cases, it's a very modest amount of forces. And We've written off the rest of it, not that we don't care about radical Islam in other parts of the world, but we've sort of said it's not our problem. And the only problem we're going to focus on is those that are trying to attack the American people. And I, I think that is a, a mature and sobering conclusion that we came to in how to deal with this issue. And that's one of the reasons I'm disappointed that we didn't see Afghanistan as one of those countries that we should maintain that kind of focus. General, I know you're pressed for time. You've got other obligations. Just tell me, can you hold over or not? Yeah, sure. All right. I want to pursue additional questions with you for the audience. We'll be right back with General Jackson. George S. Patton of Talk Radio. Call him at 877-381-3811. That's 877-381-3811. Uh-oh. We have to change that to the General Jack Keene of Talk Radio. You never know. Now, General Keene, Afghanistan, the horror, and I don't know a lot. I just know what I read, but the administration must know a lot of it that is taking place over there. The brutalizing of women has already started, marrying off women, taking them as hostages. The summary execution of anybody who may have been associated with any Westerner or has Westerner culture, it's already started. If you're President of the United States, doesn't this even cause you at least some, some consternation? Yeah, you would think. I know he's very much aware of the realities that we were facing there. You know, with a premature withdrawal or not setting the conditions uh, for a much better one, um, he knows full well that the Taliban will kill their way all the way to Kabul. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And and 
know, they're shutting off television and radio. They're mandating only certain kinds of music. The women are getting back into full burkas again. The, the women are just being yanked right out of school. Uh, there's colleges in, in, in some of these provincial capitals. All of that's being stopped for women. The classes are going to change. Uh, it, 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 it's a total social upheaval in the country, in addition to the horror of, of what is taking place with people's lives being threatened and, and literally women uh, being taken from their homes and being forced into marriages. This is something that was a pattern in the, in, the, in the regime for five years when the Taliban ran the country. And, you know, one of the astounding things our, our viewers would appreciate, I mean, our listeners would appreciate, is that the uh, you know, surveys done in Afghanistan for the last 20 years uh, dealing with the Taliban, and the rejection rate by the people of Afghanistan is always hovering around 85%. Mm. That is absolutely staggering. In the history, in the recorded history of insurgencies, there's never been one as unpopular as theirs. That's why they have absolutely refused political deals and power sharing, because if there was ever elections being held, these guys couldn't get elected to anything, uh, because the people find them so reprehensible. And, and that's just what they're facing. It's, it, it's going to be a horror show, for sure. And General Keene, just so people understand, we have people talk about the neocons and the Washington military establishment and so forth. Our reason for being in Afghanistan is to protect the United States of America, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Now, did, did, did we get, get into things in Afghanistan as we did in Bosnia-Herzegovina to a degree that... Uh, we probably didn't need to, yes, uh, in, in terms of the nation-building effort. Our, our reason for being there fun, fundamentally is to make certain that there's not going to be another al-Qaeda uh, organization that rises there with the aspirations to attack the United States. That's why we also had the CIA there, uh, keeping their eye on the al-Qaeda leadership in, in Pakistan, certainly. It was from there, remember, that we attacked Osama bin Laden in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So we, we just pulled away all of those eyes and ears. I'm, I think it's a given that the Taliban are, are, are going to take over unless, you know, Biden does a reassessment and changes. I doubt he's going to do that, frankly. I don't think he has a stomach for it. But the, the other thing I'm concerned about, once the Taliban does take over, uh, most of us who have been observing this, and, and I've been involved here for a long time closely, absolutely convinced that the al-Qaeda will resurge in Af- inside Afghanistan. There is a, a presence of them there right now that they'll just, they'll just build on that. And we're not going to have the eyes and ears that we have right now, you uh-huh. know, to see that happening and to take active action against it. So here, here we have a threat that, that will be facing us uh, for sure within a year to two years and with not much ability to, to do anything about it. Uh, and, and why would we put the American people at risk again hmm. uh, when we didn't take the actions in the 1990s when we knew Osama bin Laden had dropped both of our embassies in Africa and attacked the USS Cole, and all we did against him was throw some cruise missiles up into a training base in Afghanistan under the Clinton administration. The fact that we, we did no harm to them convinced Osama bin Laden that America was weak and they could be taken advantage of, and that's why he wanted to attack us. 
I mean, it, it, to replay the scenario is absolutely outrageous when there's no reason to do it. Given all the, the lives and, and resources that have already been spent, and I want to ask you about that finally, General. We have a lot of Gold Star families that listen to this radio show. We have wonderful, beautiful Americans who died in Afghanistan or were horribly maimed. What can you say to them? What can you say to the families? Well, well I feel very strongly uh, about this. I mean, the reason why our, we sent our soldiers there was to make certain that the al-Qaeda did not attack us again. And we have succeeded at that for 20 years. And we've made certain that that didn't happen. Um, we wanted to keep a small force there to guarantee that it wouldn't happen in the future years as well, because we are involved in a generational war here against radical Islam. They haven't said the war is over, and there's people out there that want to do harm and kill us. So our soldiers, the lives that we sacrificed, the catastrophic wounds that so many have had, and the sacrifices our families made uh, is commendable because they have protected America for these 20 years, and there should be no diminishment of that whatsoever by this horrific ending that's taken place because of miscalculations of leaders in Washington. That doesn't take anything away from that sacrifice and the honor that those soldiers and families have provided to this nation, and will always be remembered. General Keene, you know, if the war is over against terrorism, then why do we have a TSA? I'm sitting here thinking, why do we have no-fly lists? Why do we have all these things in place to try and protect us from al-Qaeda and organizations of the same? Because, in truth, we know the war isn't over, don't we? Yeah. They, they, it, that threat is still there. It's an ideology. Leaders change out, as we've seen. We kill leaders. Other leaders rise up. They're committed to it. They're fanatically committed to their cause. They have resolved. We, they have suffered significant setbacks, to be sure. And under the Trump administration and taking the ISIS caliphate away from them, that they, they were the most barbaric, uh, radical Islamic organization in history. And they finally were summarily defeated when we put the right resources in and, and, and gave our commanders the, the authorities to take the appropriate action. Uh, they were brought down pretty quickly. That could have been done a lot sooner, but nonetheless it was done. Yeah, that threat is out there. We have modest involvement in it. The priority is China and certainly Russia, and we have plenty of resources to put in that direction while we keep a small, modest amount of forces dealing with the threats that are still there. And as I indicated, there's only five countries that we're concerned about. Afghanistan will still be one of them, even though we don't have any forces there. Well, you do, as a footnote, you do raise an interesting point. The Obama-Biden administration, you saw ISIS get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Trump comes in and he says, that's enough of that. And he, and he gives the generals and, uh, and the CIA, I guess, and whomever is needed, uh, their own heads and says, take them out. Uh, do you see kind of a return to Obama-Biden, but more just of a Biden type of foreign policy, which is really uh, quite provocative, if not destructive, in my view? Yeah, I think Biden is actually more dangerous uh, because he's he, he's been on the wrong side of so many policy decisions, you know, throughout his life. It, it, it's just, it's really quite remarkable to me, uh, and particularly someone who ironically professes to be a foreign policy expert. You know, I reviewed Bob Gates' book 
uh, about his tenure as the Secretary of uh, Defense for the Wall Street Journal. And in that book, uh, he, he makes a statement about Vice President Biden, which is very revealing. He said that Vice President Biden has been on the wrong side of most foreign policy issues for 40 years, never seen anybody uh, that's been so wrong for so long. Uh, that's a paraphrase of, uh, of what he said, and I think it's, it's being played out uh, before our eyes here uh, now that he is the president of the United States. And, and this is a, just a disastrous, reckless decision that he's made. All right, General Keene, I want to thank you for your past service and your service now, and God bless you, my friend. Yeah, thank you, Mark, and great to- talking to your audience, by the way. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, it's, it's our pleasure. Thank you, General. Oh, boy. I told you Biden is a human pandemic. He's a wrecking ball. And people are losing their lives as a result in our cities, overseas. People are getting sick as a result. He can pick on Republican governors all he wants. Those hundreds of thousands of people, soon to be millions, coming across our border. Significant, significant percentages of them who have this coronavirus. That's Biden. We wouldn't have to wear masks, but for Biden as president of the United States. And he didn't invent any of the vaccines. All that was done under the Trump administration. This man inherited a country that was on its feet, that was on the move economically, geopolitically. A country that was rebounding. Now he's cutting the legs out from under us. And they've only just begun. As Senator Ed Markey. Marxist, Massachusetts, said the other day, if they get to pass this monstrosity of a bill that shreds the Constitution of the United States and virtually every part of the civil society, that's just the beginning, he said. It's just the start, just a down payment. I'll be right back. Mark By the way, I want to be clear to Biden and the Biden administration, to Schumer. I want to be very clear to Speaker Pelosi. We are not accepting that their 3.5 and 5.5 trillion dollar destroy America bill is a fait accompli. We are going to fight this every way we know how on this program, and I'm going to need all you help, all your help, all your support. This is our country, too. And we're not surrendering it to a temporary, minuscule majority in the House and no majority in the Senate. That's not how a republic works. We're not handing over this priceless nation to Bernie Sanders and other Marxists. A creep from Vermont. He wants to run the world, let him run his own world. We've only just begun to fight we've only just begun and now you we know who they are we know these different groups we know their pedigree we know that they are an Americanized form of Marxists we know who they are we're not afraid to say it we're smarter than them we're more numerous than them They lie, they cheat, 
They're corrupt. And how they try to convince people to side with them. Well, now they've awakened a sleeping giant. You, the American people. You, the American people. And I hope, I pray, I told Sean Hannity this today. He and I talk all the time, off the air. I said, Sean, I don't care how many books I sell. I pray to God that this message is getting out. I pray to God that the book's message is getting out. I pray to God that some of the strategies and tactics will be embraced by thousands, if not tens of thousands of people, and even better and more thoughtful strategies and tactics that you and your community may come up with. I pray to God that you're part of this mission. We need each and every one of you. Take the book. Use it like Thomas Paine's American Crisis. Spread the word. Spread the word. Be an evangelical for liberty. Proselytize for the nation. We can do this together, all of us. We can overwhelm them. Let them have to defend what they have. Let us take our liberty back from them. I said the other day and I meant it. We have less liberty today. Less liberty today than they had prior to the American Revolution. And they want to steal a massive chunk of what's left of it. Your income belongs to you. You put your labor into something, that labor belongs to you. It doesn't belong to somebody else to give to somebody else because they vote that way. Your child's mind belongs to you and your child. Not to racists and Marxists and union bosses. Please jump in with both feet, please. We need you now. We have a very powerful third hour. I hope you'll stick with us, and I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. I will not be here tomorrow, Friday, flying out to the Reagan Library for a Saturday event, flying back, back Sunday night. And on the air on Monday, the Sunday Night Fox program is brand new. I hope you'll check it out, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a very, very important program. If you can't watch it live, I hope you'll DVR the program. It's a tough time, I know, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, but we love the fact that you're there. It's the highest-rated Sunday primetime night show on cable, on what is it, cable news. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and keep it up so we can keep doing it. I've got a lot to cover in the next 20 minutes or so. Peter Schweitz is going to be here. We're going to talk about Hunter Biden and this latest and how that relates to Joe Biden, because it's not enough to point out Hunter Biden, who's a grotesque uh, human. uh, All right, never mind. I want to talk about American Express in the context of American Marxism and what we can do about this. 
American Express, the, the Daily Mail is terrific, by the way. American Express invited great-grandson of Nation of Islam founder to give capitalism is racist talk. Now, I've told you before, this whole Louis Farrakhan stuff is critical race theory, uh, Louis Farrakhan style, but dressed up as scholarship. And the American Express staff were forced to undergo critical race training to identify their privileges. Internal documents show how the banking giant is telling its worst workforce that the capitalist system that pays their salaries was founded on racist logics. Khalil Muhammad, the great-grandson of the Nation of Islam founder Elijah Muhammad, spoke at a company event. He told Amex workers that capitalism was based on racist logics and forms of domination, and said Amex and its staffers are complicit. Other documents reveal how Amex created an anti-racism initiative for its workforce on systemic racism, white privilege, and microaggressions. Amex revenue grew 6.5% in the last fiscal year to a whopping $31.36 billion. In fact, their CEO took home a total salary package of $24.2 million in 2020. Pretty shocking, isn't it? Uh, other documents provided by whistleblowers also show MX created an anti-racism initiative and so forth and so on. The event with Muhammad called a conversation about race in America reflecting on our history and the American dream took place in September via a web stream. In it, Muhammad described capitalism as racial capitalism and said AMAX and its staffers are complicit in giving privilege to some races over others. He said American Express has to do its own digging about how it sits in relationship to this history of racial capitalism. Anybody have an American Express card? Anybody have a 401k or an IRA or invested in a series or collection of mutual funds? And that would include American Express? Well, why don't hundreds of you, if not thousands of you, show up at their next public shareholder meeting? Why don't you show up at their next shareholder meeting? Or, if you wish, cut up your American Express card if that's what you would like to do. Because they're making money off you. And now they're trashing you. I have an American Express card. I use it a lot. I've got to look into an alternative now. And I will look into an alternative now. And this is how you do it. This is the BDS movement. As I write in Chapter 7 of American Marxism, we are going to use the Marxist tactics against the Marxists. This is what the great-grandson or grandson of Elijah Muhammad wants to do. Well, this is what Mark Levin and you should want to do. And if that's the way American Express views millions and millions of its customers, you pushing a Marxist, racist, hate-filled agenda, well, then boycott them. Divest from them. That's what you do. Sanction them. Show up at their shareholder meetings. This is a perfect example. Perfect example of what should be done. And uh, we'll keep an eye on this. And there's another one. This Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's should be out of business. New Jersey mayor blast again, the Daily Mail. 
Not the New York Times, not the Washington Post. New Jersey Mayor blasts Ben and Jerry's virtue signaling pro-Palestinian stance and asks, how come you still sell in China, Saudi Arabia, and Syria if you care about human rights? The company released a statement in July 19 that selling ice cream in occupied Palestinian territory. It's called Judea and Samaria. You might want to check the Bible. You was inconsistent with our values. The ice cream maker is owned by British consumer goods conglomerate Unilever, which has its U.S. headquarters in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Mayor Mario Kranjok, this is a good man. The town's mayor sent a letter about the ice cream maker's decision on Monday to Unilever. He called Ben & Jerry's decision virtue signaling and questioned why he still sells ice cream to other countries with appalling human rights records. A spokesperson for the mayor described the letter to the DailyMail.com as threatening legal recourse against Unilever. And that's spelled U-N-I-L-E-V-E-R. Town officials will be introducing a resolution regarding the company on Wednesday evening. You should go to your town officials, folks. You should go to your, your county boards, supervisors and others, and tell them to do the same thing. That you and they want to boycott Ben and & Jerry's and even better Unilever, to the extent you're able to. And when Unilever has a board meeting in America, a shareholder meeting, we should show up at that too. So congrats to Mayor Mario Kranjak. Because Ben and Jerry's is now an anti-Semitic operation. Anti-Semitic. How do you explain it? Selling to China, which is killing Uyghurs, among others. Saudi Arabia, we know about them. The Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran. Syria, which killed half a million of its own people and gassed many of them. Ben and Jerry's and Unilever have no problem doing business in those countries, ladies and gentlemen. But it's Israel. Israel. The Jews. Two more jackasses that come out of Vermont. Ben and Jerry. Their ice cream sucks. It sucks. There's a lot of good ice cream out there, particularly the lactose-free type. Oh, they're so clever. Let's call ice cream. Hey, bobblehead ice cream. Oh, yeah. That's good. No. Bennett Cohen and Jerry Greenfield. Those names sound Jewish to you? How many times have I told you about self-hating Jews who really are not Jews any more than Karl Marx was a Jew? They are Radicals. Absolute radicals. So, Bennett Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, they started their ice cream chain in 1978. They sold it to Unilever in 2000. They're worth a fortune. But of course, they're down for the revolution, like these other pukes. Like these other pukes. They're probably part of J Street and these other phony fraud organizations, front groups for the haters. Self-haters and other haters. So Ben and Jerry should be bankrupted. Unilever should be BDS'd. I'm just giving you some ideas, folks. Oh, and one other thing before we get to our guest. Social justice summer camps. Does this not sound... Like Marxism to you? An Arizona summer camp is working hard to program children. This is from Post Millennial site, which is terrific. 
with anti-racist ideology, and the camp is run by an Arizona public school teacher. Any town leadership camp, quote, is a human relations organization dedicated to educating, embracing, and empowering leaders to promote social change. uh, change. How about we empower future leaders to support liberty, the Constitution, and our country? They envision, they write, a society that is strengthened by diversity, inclusion, respect, and justice for all people. In practice, the Phoenix Area Camp for Teens promotes so-called anti-racism through racial division and propagandistic rhetoric. As part of the camp practice, teens are separated according to race, gender, sexual orientation to, quote, talk about what ties them together, unquote. So they segregate the teenagers in the camp, much like a school segregated the students in Atlanta just now. We've come full circle. And yet, don't hear the Democrats denouncing this kind of segregation, do you? I mean, they did invent it in the first place. I've told you, this whole thing about Marxism is a scam. It's a scam. It's a throwback. It's not for the people. It enslaves the people. It imprisons the people. It it destroys the mind of the people. That's what it does. I'll be right back. Lovin. All right. Peter Schweitzer, my good friend. How are you, sir? I'm great, Mark. Great to be with you as always. Thanks for having me. Author of Profiles in Corruption. Before we get to Hunter Biden, Tara Reid has said, look... All this investigation involving uh, Andrew Cuomo, his resignation. How come there's not a real investigation into Joe Biden and what I say he did to me in 1993? And what she says he did to her is worse than anything Cuomo's accused of. He's accused of, in essence, what falls within the definition of rape. Yeah, Mark, it brings to mind uh, George Orwell's animal farm. Some animals are more equal than others. Uh, Some women are apparently more equal than others. And and remember, even in the case of Andrew Cuomo, uh, the media tended to sort of uh, dismiss a lot of the allegations. It's only when the attorney general of the state of New York, uh, who is a liberal Democrat, uh, decided to investigate it and put her imprimatur on it that suddenly they gave uh, real weight to these allegations. Um, So uh, it's exactly right. I mean, uh, she is right to be frustrated. She's right to be angry. And we do not have, you've talked about this before, you've written about it, Mark, we do not have a independent mainstream media anymore that is trying to hold people in power in check. That's the role of the media. They certainly tried to do that in spades with Donald Trump, um, I would say, in ways that were wildly inaccurate and wrong. Uh, But they are doing exactly the opposite with Joe Biden, and it does not serve our country well at all. She says, my heart is with the brave Cuomo survivors who endured attempts to discredit them like I did. Coming forward about Joe Biden with the help of nonprofits that were supposed to help women like, like uh, Time's Up, Reed told Fox News. May there be some measure of justice for the survivors. Now let's call for a real investigation into Joe Biden and expose the corruption protecting powerful predators. And she torched this group, Time's Up. 
that was uh, meant to assist women who were subjected to sexual harassment and assault. Uh, it was swept up in the Cuomo scandal after revelations that co-chair Roberta Kaplan assisted Cuomo in discrediting one of his accusers. And she says, Time's Up committed the most hideous betrayal to protect their most powerful friends and not only not protect provis- provi- uh, survivors, but cause harm. This young woman really has been so horrifically treated by the press, by the Democrat Party, all these phony women groups, all these phony women senators who, who claim to be really upset about this sort of thing. But when it comes to Joe Biden, they circle the wagons, the Praetorian Guard. All right. I want to move on here with you, my friend. Uh, I think the Daily Mail has done a hell of a job. That's quite a newspaper, isn't it? It is. They've done a remarkable job, and they're doing a job that, that other than the New York Post, uh, no other publication seems to be interested in covering, which is the Hunter Biden story, which is really not just a Hunter Biden story. It's a Joe Biden story front and center. What are the fundamentals of this story? So the fundamentals of this story, uh, let me say broadly, is what, what began as a story about Biden corruption. We broke this uh, on, your, uh, on your show two years ago, three years ago, in my book, Secret Empires, about all the payments, the foreign money that, that the Bidens were, were receiving from Ukraine and from China. That was a corruption story. With this latest re- revelation, it is now becoming really honestly a spy or espionage story. In this latest uh, videotape that has come out, this is a tape that Hunter Biden himself recorded it. He recorded it when he, let's say, was having a a physical relationship uh, with a woman. Some news outlets have identified her as a prostitute. I don't know if that's been confirmed. But in the tape, he's explaining to this this woman, who's obviously a stranger, that he lost a laptop in 2018 when he was engaged in a big drug binge in Las Vegas, uh, and that his laptop was taken by people that he describes as Russian uh, uh, drug dealers. Um, And he expresses to her the concern um, that he is going to be subject to blackmail and that the information on the laptop that not only includes information, obviously, about him and these pictures and drug use, but also contains information about uh, his father and his uncle, um, that this can and might be used uh, as compromise or uh, as evidence to pressure the Biden family um, in the direction that these people might want to go. This is not the only time that Hunter Biden has referred to the fact that this information could be used against the family. It's not the only time that he's talked about the people he's dealt with um, have intelligence connections. He described Patrick Ho, a Chinese executive, uh, at, at an energy company he's working with as the effing spy chief of China. So what, what you're seeing, Mark, is that Hunter Biden himself is saying that this is a national security problem for the Biden family, that there's compromising material that is in the hands of, let's say, people that might use it against them. Uh, and, of course, the irony is, is that mainstream media is not covering this. They covered the, um, the so-called dossier on Donald Trump. Uh, which was unsupported, which was anonymous, and ended up being completely, totally bogus. They covered that in the interest of national security, um, of this sort of no-name dossier. Here you actually have the vice president, now president's son, saying we are in a situation where we can be compromised because of this information, and the media, for some reason, doesn't want to cover that. Let Let me ask you a common sense question. 
Sure. All these years, the laptops, the information on the laptops, basically uh, passing money on to, uh, to Hunter Biden, one government or, or another. This is a very corrupt family, isn't it? And this is a corrupt president of the United States, isn't it? Absolutely it is. And, and I'll say, Mark, that um, we, uh, meaning my research team, we've had a copy of the laptop here for a while. Uh, we are going through uh, the emails, uh, all of them. Um, we're going to have more to report on this. But, but this is far worse than we even know now at this point. Because when you start to peel back the people that were giving Hunter Biden the money, given the Biden family money, because here's what the emails show. It shows not only that Hunter was getting paid and not only that that James Biden, Joe Biden's brother, was getting foreign money, but that Hunter Biden was paying his father's bills while he was vice president. And he was doing it with the foreign All right, I want, hold on now. I, can I carry over after the bottom of the hour? I want you to repeat what you just said. I want to pursue this. Is that all right, Peter? Yes, absolutely. It's Peter Schweitzer. Don't go away. We'll be right back. new American revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. Now, I'll be gone Friday, Saturday, Sunday, back Monday, but I hope during the course of this three-day period, you will acquire your copies of American Marxism, read it, spread the word, make sure your kids, if they're going to college or high school, have a copy in their book bag or under their arms. Use it. Use it as the rallying cry, the way American crisis was used um, right before the Battle of Trenton. I think it's very, very important, ladies and gentlemen. I want to welcome back Peter Schweitzer, author of Profiles in Corruption. Now, Peter, you were saying that Hunter Biden was paying some of his father's bills. Can you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, absolutely, um, Mark. Um, so what the emails make clear is that Hunter Biden was uh, covering his dad's bills while his dad was vice president. This is not when he left office. This is while he was vice president of the United States. And thus far, we've got tens of thousands of dollars, there will be more, of, of bills uh, that, that are clearly uh, Joe Biden's bills that are being paid by Hunter Biden. Now, as a family member, you can buy a gift uh, for Christmas or for birthday for a politician that's in your family, you certainly cannot be subsidizing their lifestyle. And that's exactly what was happening in this case. Well, let me slow you down then. You yeah. can give a gift up to 15000 to a member of your family. So my question to you is this. If he exceeded that, and it sounds like what you're telling me he did, uh, did Joe Biden pay taxes on it? That's a great question. Uh, Isn't because, this yes. what they just went after the CFO of Trump World in Manhattan for? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and the other th- issue you have uh, with Hunter Biden is looking at the cluster of LLCs, pass-throughs that he has. The money that he takes in from overseas, um, you know, more than a million of it ends up with James Biden, uh, who is Joe Biden's brother or Hunter Biden's uncle. Um, and there are all these questions. And here, by the way, when, when it comes to the issue of the emails themselves, Mark, 
here's what we did from the beginning, because, you know, uh, the reporters are saying, well, we don't know if these are, you know, the accurate emails. We don't know if these are genuine. So we started with an assumption. And, and again, I just want to add for the audience, notice when the dossier was given, none of those questions were raised. It was just assumed <laughs> to be accurate. That's, that's exactly right. And so what we did, Mark, was we did something very simple that the news media could do is we said, what information is out there that we know is 100 percent accurate? So the Secret Service has re- released Hunter Biden's travel records. The U.S. Senate Committee released Treasury Department's um, uh, reports on financial transactions going to Hunter Biden. So we went through the emails and said, do they actually correspond? When the Secret Service says that Hunter Biden was in Dubai on a given date, do the emails actually correlate to that? And they absolutely do. The mm-hmm. same thing is if there's a wire transfer, you find an email from a Chinese businessman saying, we wired you the money. Um, so it all lines up completely with the body of information we have. That includes other emails from other uh, Hunter Biden business partners. So there is just no question that these emails are accurate, uh, clear, um, and 100 percent genuine. And yet there's been zero interest from the news media other than, as you mentioned, uh, the Daily Mail and the New York Post uh, actually going through these. Uh, and they are a gold mine of information. Um, that there's going to be much more reporting on down the road. You are you are a Doberman on this. It's crucially important you and your team keep it up. And I'm convinced Joe Biden is corrupt right up to his eyeballs. And uh, it's very interesting how the Democrat committee in the House keeps going after ex-President Trump and his tax returns under the emoluments clause, which is so phony it's not even funny. And here we have Joe Biden, a sitting president of the United States, who is selling out to our enemies, whose son is hobnobbing, and traveling all over the world, whose son is a disgusting piece of you-know-what, in my humble opinion. And uh, he's even talking about the Russians have this information and they might use it against my father. I mean, it, it's incredible. incredible. Not that it would ever happen. Can you imagine if it were Eric or, or Don Jr. or anybody else? It, oh. It's, ju- it's yeah. just incredible how they protect Biden because he's pushing their, their radical Marxist agenda. Yeah, exactly right. And Mark, here's the thing. It's not just what they have done and how they're covering it up. Joe Biden has lied to the media repeatedly about this. I mean, remember, at first he said Mm -hmm. Hunter didn't have any overseas deals. That was shown not to be true. Then he said he had no knowledge of those deals. That turned out not to be true. Then his argument was, I never met any of his business partners or discussed his business deals. That ended up not being true. And then he said, you know, I never benefited from these deals. And now that's not true. So you you think about it from the standpoint of, of a journalist. You know, this guy has told you lie upon lie upon lie about this. When are you going to stand up as a reporter and say, wait a minute, I'm tired of being lied to. I'm going to hold this guy. Now, Peter, it. it's, Peter, it's remarkable. they're corrupt. It's going to take somebody like you, uniquely you, to expose this and get it to the American people through uh, in and around and, or, and above the uh, media in this country, which is as corrupt as corrupt can be. They don't care what Biden's done, even when it comes to Cuomo. They, they've only, they're only sacking Cuomo after they, uh, after they were done using him to attack Trump. Now they, now they yeah. want to make room for one of the Marxists in the uh, state of New York. I'm convinced of that. So Cuomo means nothing to them. If, uh, if Biden doesn't keep up his radical agenda, they'll try and take him out, too, and replace him with uh, Kamala Harris, I suppose. But all that said, it is amazing to me uh, that uh, this double standard, and what is also amazing to me is 
that Joe Biden gets away with it. In other words, forget about the media. I mean, yeah. for, forget about all that. Uh, what, you know, he, he issues his tax returns. He says, see how clean, clean that is? I mean, the suggestion here is he's getting his bills paid for. He's not paying taxes on them. Nobody is. And, and the, of course, there's a way to get around the Internal Revenue Code. It's called money under the table, isn't it? Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Remember what Joe Biden said during the campaign. I've never taken... I remember what he said. He said... Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. (laughs) He said, I've never taken a dime of foreign money. Well, Mm -hmm. if you launder it through your son, Mm -hmm. right, you you, you are taking foreign money. You're technically getting it from your son, but you're absolutely correct. And and this this is what everybody has to realize. When it comes to issues like bribery and corruption, the statutes, it does not matter if Joe Biden gets paid directly or whether a payment is made to a son or another family member, it is still corruption. Uh, and as we continue to close the loop on what is in the emails, um, there's going to be a lot more turns to this story uh, over the next five months or so as, as we research it. And it, it, it's getting worse for the Bidens. It's certainly not getting better. I'll tell you what I think, and now the heads will blow up at the Media Matters and Mediaite two of the most corrupt, phony, so-called media operations on the planet. This is a Manchurian candidate, this guy Biden. He's just doing too much to destroy America too fast, including the open borders, including our economic system, including our financial status. He's doing too much uh, to assist our enemies overseas, including the uh, the Iranian regime uh, and uh, Look what he's doing even in Afghanistan, the way he's withdrawing there, which is, which is our real. Well, Trump, Trump would never withdraw this way. That simply would never happen. And I can go on and on and on. Um, I, think, uh, I think this guy really is, is uh, in so many ways disloyal to, uh, to his oath. I really believe that. Well, imagine you had a situation with Donald Trump, who's, let's say, one of his sons took three and a half million dollars from the wife of the mayor of Moscow, um, who's deeply corrupt oligarch. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Donald Trump becomes president of the United States, and he reverses course of his predecessor and says, no, we're going to let Russia build that Nord gas pipeline. So why isn't there a special why isn't there a special counsel investigation, you know? Uh, why, why isn't there a criminal investigation of they have a hell of a lot more than they ever had on Trump, which was nothing? Yeah. And here's the thing, Mark. It's incumbent upon people in Capitol Hill, Republicans, to call this stuff out. Joe Biden is soft on China. There are all kinds of commercial ties between the Biden family and China that still exist to this day, by the way. Uh, there are the financial ties between Russia and the Biden family. Um, he has certainly taken a softer course uh, towards uh, Mr. Putin and Russia than, than uh, uh, Donald Trump ever did. These are questions, and they need to be called out. You've got to lay it out for the American people specifically and ask for an accounting. It's not enough to say you're concerned about the shift in policy. You have to explain to people what these ties are uh, mm-hmm. and explain to people the, 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 the fact that Hunter Biden himself – says that the family faces uh, a problem of, of compromise or compromising information. Um, and I think if you do that, the American people get it. They understand. Um, and I think it would make a sea change in terms of the attitudes that a lot of people have right now, which is either they, they feel kind of defeated, uh, they feel kind of detached, 
Um, they need to read your book for one thing, but they also need to be informed specifically about the Biden family connections overseas, because that's a central part, I think, in addition to the ideology of what's going on with this administration. By the way, while I have you, although I don't have a lot of time, this is from the Washington Examiner, Timothy Carney. Ted Lieu's campaign donated $50,000 to Stanford before his son applied to Stanford. (laughs) Now, what are the name of those actors and actresses? Uh, Some of them went to jail. I forget their names. I mean, uh, is this going to be investigated? Uh, Is this going to be something that's going to move the moral needle of the media? Of course not, because Ted Lieu is a radical, unhinged kook who they will protect, right? Yeah, this is. I have never seen this before, Mark. I I have... uh, done a lot of work on corruption over the course of decades, and I've never seen where somebody's political campaign, okay, this is not a personal contribution, his political campaign cuts a check to Stanford University or any university where his son is applying to attend. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. This cries out for Congress to investigate uh, the Ethics Committee. We know they won't do it, but it cries out for them to investigate. And again, the question is, are the Republicans on Capitol Hill going to call him out by name specifically as needs to be done and demand that this be investigated? All right, my friend, Peter Schweitzer, National Treasure. The book is Profiles in Corruption. You've got other things coming out. I hope you'll come on the program where I'll give you time to discuss them, as I always do, because you're very, very important. Thank you, my friend. Well, thank you, Mark. All right, you take care of yourself. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. So uh, I will be at the uh, Reagan Library Saturday with my beautiful wife and my beautiful mother-in-law with all the... uh, California requirements in place. Uh, Mr. Producer, I think I'll be wearing a raincoat and uh, a burka on top and a pair of uh, boots and uh, and an umbrella. So something like that. But anyway, regardless, we're going to have a lot of fun and I look forward to seeing you. But I'm going to miss all of you. The millions and millions of you out, you know, who who are not able to attend. And um, you'll be in very, very good hands with my buddy Larry O'Connor from WMEL. He's a very, very dear friend. And when I'm not here, I just hope, I hope you'll think about acquiring your copies of American Marxism. We're almost out of the limited edition signed copies uh, at premiercollectibles.com slash Marxism. We're almost out. Maybe we'll be out by the time I get back. I don't know, but that's how few are left. Premiercollectibles.com slash Marxism. It's on my parlor site. And uh, I have... uh, I've gone around big tech, ladies and gentlemen. You see, I'm not on Twitter or Facebook anymore, like so many hosts and TV and radio. If you really want to, if you really want to talk about not being in the bed with big tech, somebody like me anyway, then I don't use Twitter or Facebook. I don't begrudge you. You do what you want. It's perfectly fine. It's a free country. Well, almost free. But you get the point. Amazon.com is not big tech. So feel free to go to Amazon.com and order your copy of American Marxism. We've been number one on there pretty much straight through for almost a month. And they have had no inhibitions about selling my book. Neither is my publisher, Simon & Schuster. So please jump in with us. 
None of that matters. Who you get it from, what's in the book is what matters. And, of course, all the retail stores, Costco, Barnes & Noble, still have plenty of books, Walmart, Target, Books a Million, BJ's, Sam's, can't remember everybody. If you're in an airport, they should have them too. But the point is, we're running out of time. We're, we're meeting up on this, uh, on this vote on spending. Your kids are going into these uh, school atmospheres and environments. Now's the time to act. The fact is, it's really luck that this book came out when it did. It's propitious. It's absolutely propitious. Mr. Producer saying, I think that's one of the seven banned words. No, it's okay. The great WABC, Paul on Long Island. Go right ahead, sir. Mm, go ahead. Uh, let's move on. Who else? WMAL, Patrick in Washington, D.C. Quickly, sir, go right ahead. Hey, Mark, I just wanted to say that the Republicans and McConnell, they just wasted a golden opportunity to gain the control of the Senate by supporting that phony infrastructure bill. They really betrayed us. They really screwed the country and your children and grandchildren. And they added at least a quarter of a trillion dollars to the debt. They can't even claim to be fiscally conservative. These are the McConnell Republicans. Every damn one of them should be primaried if they run. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Thank you, America. Thank you very much. I'll see you in a couple of days. Please secure your copies of American Marxism. Push out the message. Push out the book as much as you can. We're depending on you.